2018, the British rapper Stormzy collaborated with Penguin Random House to create Murky Books, which aimed to publish bold voices from untraditional spaces in order to change the mainstream. After two non-fiction titles, they published their first fiction in 2019. That reminds me by Derek Awusu, a writer who had published his own non-fiction earlier that year, an essay collection on the black British male experience called Safe. In this episode, we'll hear how Derek's own mental health issues and diagnosis led to him writing a novel which challenged conventional forms and was rewarded in 2020 by winning the Desmond Elliott Prize. This is how we made That Reminds Me. Later in the episode, we'll hear from Preeti Taneja, Chair of Judges for the 2020 Desmond Elliott Prize, about the qualities that made this book their winner. But for the most part, we'll hear from Derek and his editor at Murky Books, Tom Avery, about turning a mental health crisis into an important prize-winning novel. And we begin with Derek and the time when those first words appeared on a page. It began with my um, experience. It began, well, it was after I actually had a, a mental health breakdown and I was in a place called a recovery house um, where they kind of look after you and there's nurses there to give you like your medication and, and things like that. Um, and just to kind of pass the time, I just decided to start kind of writing this story about this boy called Kay, you know, kind of like an alter ego and try and put him through a series of, event, series of events that would lead to someone developing borderline personality disorder. Um, that, was, that was the main thing that I thought of when I first started writing it. Then obviously as you start writing, it just goes wherever it wants to go and turns into so many different things. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just kind of, a, I was just writing it for myself, you know. That's 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 how it all started. You know, when I left the recovery house, I was just still writing it whenever I had like a bit of inspiration or I had a thought, I would try and work the thought out in prose, in descriptive prose, work the thought out that way. Um, and it just kept going, you know, I didn't really cross my mind to, to get published. I did tell my agent, you know, I did kind of say, you know, I'm, writing poems now like at the moment and I'm actually happy to share them sort of thing you know I thought to myself how can I get on the poetry scene because I've never thought of myself as like a spoken word poet you know if someone said get up and perform some spoken word I wouldn't know what to do um so everyone I was talking to they were like you need to do the spoken word circuit you need to do it and I was just kind of like, I just can't it's not me I was like I'm a page poet I can get up and recite um something for you but I can't perform it for you um and everyone's kind of saying well then you know then just kind of give up then because the only way into the poetry scene whatever is through this way basically for people of color is what they were saying you have to be like a spoken word poet but i was just refusing i was just like no way i'm not doing that so i just carried on writing and um this is just after safe came out the anthology and i was with tom avery in his office and we were just kind of talking about safe and what he's got coming up for murky books and things like that and he started telling me about this this idea he had for a podcast involving his brother who he was talking to a lot about reading and about literature um and i'm sure derek will have said but i think he he you know he he felt that literature had really changed his life um and recognized i think at that moment that his brother was in a bit of a difficult position and was trying to kind of um offer him the same opportunities that he had in terms of um, books that that made a profound difference to his life, changed his outlook, um, and and so and so really, yeah, our conversation started f- 
from that basis and it was it was kind of rooted in this podcast idea and i told him i was going to do a podcast with my little brother called teaching my brother to read and he was kind of like his eyes lit up he was like this is a great idea for a book i was like no 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 it's a podcast he's like no 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 this would be an amazing book you and your brother and we talked through it talked through it um and I was kind of like, well, I have this other book, you know, I guess I, it's a book that I've been writing. And he's like, okay, yep, send it through, let me read it. So he sent it through. And I think kind of the feeling was apprehension at first, just because Murky was new and you don't really launch a new uh, imprint with a, a book of poetry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there were, there were reservations about like, like, yeah, you know, we like it, but, you know, like the nonfiction one better. So he, um, Tom Avery said, look, go and meet Stormzy's manager and talk to her about the books. So I sent her some of, a sample of what was that reminds me. And um, she was like, you know what? We've really, we've just published like three nonfiction books. We need to switch up. We need to publish something different or novel or, you know, poetry or something. And I was like, okay, so what did you think of what I sent you? And she was like, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. She was like, I really like the poetry and I want to publish that. And I was like, well, you know, uh, Penguin are more interested in the non-fiction book and she was kind of just like okay well I'll handle that mm. you know I'll, I'll talk to them see what we can do so we can do the framing thesis was um was was kind of um, mass media it was the films or television programs or music um from a particular period in time that, that inspired these these poems and 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 I think it began as a kind of discussion about this um, this group of poems more than anything else and this 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 sort of possibility emerged that it might be a collection it might be a sort of standalone project initially I think it was very um I mean I wouldn't say unclear but I think I think it was um it was something that was evolving at the time I don't think Derek um from what I can remember had um or knew exactly what he wanted it to be but um but just knew that he you know, he had he had the kind of um, period he wanted to cover. He knew the basic themes. He had this narrative in in mind and um, was working towards it. But beyond that, I think it was all very much up for discussion. I mean, I remember lots of our early conversations, and I think the conversations with the team were around uh, other writers. He's one of the most well-read and um, knowledgeable people I know in terms of like twentieth-century literature. And I think I think there was a lot of time spent in the early meetings talking about other books sort of Ralph Ellison or F Scott Fitzgerald in particular um Bell Hooks and um Claudia Rankin and um another poet and um yeah that that sort of sense of a broader um literary tradition and and heritage really came through I think in in his work as well when you pick up this book in a shop you will see short, episodic chapters, often just a single paragraph on each page, and a narrative which jumps from one significant moment to another. I asked Eric if this was the form the book was always going to take. Oh, I always knew. I, I just, I, I know what my writing style is, or how I write for particular thoughts and whatever. And so where I was going with the story, I knew that it was always going to be fragmented because I was always trying to create memories and piece, piece the, the, each poem, I guess, together. Um, like separated memories, and then if you look back, step back, you can see the bigger picture, so on and so forth. So yeah, I always, I was always going to write it like that. That's just what felt right for what what it is I was trying to write and what the subjects I was I was touching on. Um, 
and just yeah my kind of obsession at the time with kind of memories and false memories and screen memories and how you know memories make us as a person and if we lost our memories and we had kind of like a mental health problem would that mental health problem disappear because you can't remember the trauma that created in the first place so that's kind of like what I was really trying to explore in the book in my own kind of way. And was writing this down in any way therapeutic? No, it was it was never therapeutic. Even when I was in the recovery house and writing, I wouldn't say it was like therapy for me. I mean, I enjoy writing. I I really enjoy it. It's fun for me. So it was, yeah, it was more an idea I had and then something to do to pass the time. But of course, I, I enjoyed it as well. So it's never, yeah, it's never therapeutic. Um, that Yeah, no, that book was never therapeutic. Right. Although I do understand it now because the, the, the second book that I've, I've now written, which comes out next year, um, which is a poetry collection, that book was therapeutic to write. So because when everybody used to ask me about that, about that reminds me, was it therapeutic? I just used to kind of not really understand what what what, what did they even mean by that? But um, right. Yeah. Right. In the second book, I definitely understand what they mean now. And did you ever think about whether writing about your own mental health issues might help others when they actually came to read it? Yeah, I didn't I didn't think it would be helpful. I just thought, you know, well, I guess yeah, I guess I just yeah, I just thought hopefully people would read it and find some sort of recognition in it or some some comfort. So I guess that yeah, that is hoping for it to be helpful. Um you know, I didn't want to I was really concerned about maybe upsetting people as well. Um I remember me and Tom we spoke about how could we potentially put a trigger warning on the book? But we just realised we just couldn't. It's never been done before. It just wouldn't work. Um, so I was worried, you know, people would be... Because obviously the way I wrote the book, you know, the kind of shift in mental health is sudden. And obviously it's like that on purpose because that's how it often is in real life. It's just a sudden thing. You're just like, what was happening? Um, but that could. I was worried that I was going to really catch certain readers off guard. Um and kind of maybe like upset them or anything or something like that. So that's why I was, yeah, that's why I was really concerned about. But um, I, yeah, I did, I did hope it, um, it could help comfort some people. People could see themselves in, especially like Ghanaians and you know West Africans as well, working class West Africans. I hope that they would pick up certain references that maybe nobody else would, and kind of laugh and say, "Oh yeah, I remember that. Or, I know what that is. Uh, I remember that phrase or something like that." You know, one single moment that clearly has an impact on Kay in the book is moving from rural foster care to inner city life with his family. Is that based closely on your own personal experience? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. It was. Yeah, in Suffolk, um, came to London and um, yeah, it was just very. It was really, really different. It was. Um, yeah, it was like a, it was like a new world. It's it's funny because at first when I so I lived in like a, a village called Log Melford when I was in foster care. And then when I came over to um London, I remember saying to someone who's driving the car, Oh, where are we going? And they said, Oh, we're going to Broadwater Farm. And I thought, Oh, we're going to a farm, that's fine then. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was used to. And then I get to this massive council estate block of flats, and I was just like, What is going on? Yeah. Definitely not a farm. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been quite a shock, I suppose. I mean, moving from one family to another would be enough of a shock. But as you say, quite a big change to move from somewhere which is quite rural to, to right in the, you know, the middle of an inner city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, that wasn't even the, the biggest shock. The biggest shock was the, the culture shock because, you know, my foster parents were white middle class. They were older as well, you know. Mm. 
and then coming to London with, you know, this working class West African family who's still very, very, very much Ghanaian, you know. Yeah. Um, that was the shock for me because things were just, yeah, so different, completely different. The way people spoke to you, the way people looked at you, uh, the way you ate, the things you ate, the way you would have to conduct yourself and so on and so forth. Things that, you know, unfortunately my foster uh, mother missed, you know, like teaching me how to moisturize my skin or comb my hair properly, get, you know, those, you know, moisturize my hair, those kind of things my foster care, my foster mother obviously didn't know how to do. Mm. Um, so when I came over here, I was obviously chastised because I didn't know how to do it. It was kind of like, what What do you mean you don't know how to put cream on your face sort of thing? Um, so yeah, though, it was those cultural differences that, um, that, that, that was the real shock for me. Away from the experiences that went into the writing of the book, I wanted to ask Derek about the publishing of it through Murky Books. What was it like to have the backing of someone like Stormzy and the Murky Enterprise? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was it was really, really, really good. You know, uh, when, you know, when I first met him, the fact he knew who I was, he knew what the book was. You know, he wanted me to sign his book for him. It was really, it was really amazing. You know, you, you I really did feel like I had a powerhouse behind me. Um, and you know, Tom Avery is an amazing editor. You know, the way we did our edits was, you know, we're just chilling. We'll go to the pub or whatever and just just talk about it. I always find the best um, editorial processes are, are those that become kind of a dialogue. You know, it's a meaningful conversation. It's it's um, less a sort of sharing of notes and and more a yeah more a more more a um, a conversation about about the um, the work um, and and I think it was it was very much evolving. And I think initially we were looking at individual poems and talking about individual poems or or um, what we came to describe as these, you know, standalone chapters almost. And um, and, it, and it grew from there. But I think what was clear from the outset was that there was a very distinct and, and almost linear narrative emerging, this story of a boy um, and his life um, from birth up until um, sort of early adulthood. And, and, that, and that was kind of becoming clearer and clearer. So Derek would be writing additional poems or pages and would send them over to me. And I think with every one he sent, you could just see this story coming into focus. And and I think one of the difficulties, initially at least, was sort of moving away from the idea of um, structuring the book um, according to particular television programmes or films or, or songs, um, because I think that worked really well as a, as, as a kind of conceit but um, it did limit the story in, in some ways. So I think once once we sort of stepped back and said, well, would it work without, like if you didn't have to include a television programme at the beginning of every piece, what would that look like? And then suddenly it just it just kind of opened up and expanded. Um, and, um, and yeah, it was more, I think more than anything, I was just reading, you know, I was just reading the work that Derek sent over and, and responding um, in that way. But, um, and, and, you know, getting to know him as as a poet and and as a novelist, um, uh, yeah. So it was quite a um, it was a very um, iterative approach, I'd say. So it kind of built up slowly, um, but yeah, it was it was sort of um, yeah, it was a real privilege to be working with him in that way. Um, I think more often than not, you sort of receive a text, especially with fiction that's almost fully formed, but this was, 
this was sort of growing, you know, as as we were working on it. I mean, I just didn't really know how it was supposed to go. Um, obviously, when I did Safe, it was a completely different process to me being the sole author of books. So I didn't really know. I thought, you know, I kind of was like, is the editor supposed to tell you that it's good? Because, because Tom wasn't doing that. He was just editing me and saying, change this, change this, change this. So I would have to ask him sometimes when we're sitting down and be like, is this any good, Tom? Is this any good? And he'd be like, yeah, of course it is. Like, oh, I was just kind of like, oh, because you never told me. And he's like, yeah, but we're publishing you. So, <laughs> but it's not, not... <laughs> so I just, I just didn't really know how to, yeah, to act or to be in the industry uh, in, um, in that situation. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it, was re- it was really, really fun. The process was really, um, really fun. I really enjoyed it. The Desmond Elliott Prize was created to enrich the careers of new writers in honour of the late publisher and literary agent. Since 2008, it has done that by selecting the best debut novel in any genre, but knowing how difficult the whole notion of best can be, I asked Chair of Judges Preeti Taneja, author of We That Are Young, which won the same prize in 2018, what she remembered about her first encounter with That Reminds Me. The first time I picked up this book and I opened it, I knew I had found something special. I mean, I remember it was in the middle of the first lockdown of 2020 and I had recently moved to Newcastle where I live now and so I didn't know anyone. Um, And I had this reading to do for the Desmond Elliott Prize. I had these 10 long-listed novels which are given to you by the prize committee so other people have chosen the long list. And you really hope that when you get those 10 books you will find a book that sort of hums with its own resonance in your hands and in your ears and through your eyes. And that, and that reminds me is that book. It, it just blew me away from the moment I opened it. I knew that I wasn't going to get up until I had finished it. And indeed I didn't, I spent the afternoon reading it and then I put it down and I think you can hear in my voice the memory of that sort of silence that, in, that, that that folds around you when you find a book that you just know you'll never forget. Um, and I, you know, I was in touch with my fellow judges on WhatsApp um, and it was really difficult actually because I didn't want to sway them in any way. So I didn't tell them how special I had thought this book because I wanted them to find it on their own. Um, so when we did come to talk about it, it was great to find that they both loved it just as much as I did. It's really hard to distill sometimes why you love a book when you have such an emotional reaction to it, but I'm still going to ask you. It's the form. I mean, without a doubt, Derek has this ability to take a form. Um, and this is a fragmented novel, but each page has a sort of self-contained story on it, a memory and it's typeset with this sort of squareness, a rectangle, like not square, the rectangle prose on the page. And it traps this incredible grief and this beautiful way of thinking about the quotidian moments of relationships, the everydayness, with a kind of poetic compression in the language. And that is a really rare skill. It is an, it is an extraordinary thing that he's done. And he's compressed all of this into this very short book with complete control. And it, and it feels effortless when you're reading it. It genuinely feels like someone telling you in these short bursts their memories in the way that only they could. 
And so for me, it's this sort of marriage of a bunch of things that at the end of the day, I have to say is the form. And an even tougher question, perhaps, is what made that reminds me your winner that year? I think it would be indiscreet to the other books to answer that, to answer that question. Um, you know, when we were judging, um, we came, we had three books that we loved and we short, we were able to shortlist. Um, there was there was a joy about Okashepri Nizulu's The Private Joys of Nana Maloney. We all loved it. And it felt like a book from a writer who just had a real grasp of happiness, um, but also the sort of underlays with sorrow and unafraid of class and race issues in the writing. And then we shortlisted Abby Darrow's um, The Girl with a Louding Voice. And that's a book that had done very well, again, very voice driven. But when it, when it came to that reminds me, I think the three of us all felt that peculiar sort of silence. And every time anyone mentioned it, there was a little silence where we all knew what we were thinking. <laughs> Um, because it's just, you pick it up and you recognise that you'll never be the same, because here is a writer who completely understands how to talk about things that we can never talk about, trauma, grief, historical memory, race, um, masculinity, in very specific contexts, but also completely universal. It's so rare to come across a book which does all of these things like this, and that's so short. Um, as well and I think length is important you know my own work as a debut which won the Desmond Elliott Prize a couple of years before is a very long book and that's right for its for its story but this one absolutely is right for um, the shortness that, that Derek has the compression that he achieves and one of the things I think we all loved about it as well was this everydayness and I and I and I don't really like genre um, as an idea I don't like thinking about books in terms of genres so what I think he does so successfully is just chuck all of that categorization kind of out the window and say a body and a mind and a life contains every register and every kind of storytelling and it will come out because in many ways one is dealing with the subconscious um, voice here. So why wouldn't it? You know, there is no reason for it not to. Um, and it just is so... It's just laid bare in a way um, as an as an argument for um, how we can understand our own multiplicity. So, I mean, I think for all three of us as judges, that was just so exciting to read. It was it was a weird moment. Yeah, it was a very weird moment. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was very surreal because I I, I daydreamed about it a lot. So as soon as Tom said to me, oh, we've been longlisted. I remember just being like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I spoke to my agent, Crystal. Um, and I was just like, and I just kept, you know, daydreaming about being shortlisted or potentially winning and stuff. And and I remember saying to Crystal, like, oh my God, now that I've been long, longlisted, do you feel like this is it? My career is going to take off. And I was just getting really excited. And I remember she just said to me, Derek, calm down, just relax. Okay. If you win, maybe it will do something for your career, but you've been longlisted. Don't, you know, don't get too excited. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fine, fine, fine. Um, it's weird. Everybody in publishing does that. And it makes you think, so you guys really must know that there's something wrong with this industry if you keep having to tell people not to get excited about big things. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. And then when I when I found out one, Crystal said to me, she was like, Derek, like, you, you won. I was like, what? She's like, you are the winner of the Desmond Elliott Prize. And I was just like, what? I remember thinking, what are you talking about? 
Uh, <laughs> I was just like, Crystal, stop lying, stop lying. And she was just, for about five minutes, she was just trying to tell me. And then I remember like, just feeling like, wow, this is amazing. Wow, this is really amazing. So yeah, it felt good. It felt really good. I think the most important thing it did for me at the time was just kind of, um, gave me some sort of validation. Maybe, you know, where I thought, okay, maybe I can do this then. Maybe, mm. maybe I'm not a fraud after all. <laughs> <laughs> a little time has passed now since the win and from writing the book, of course. And I wonder how you feel about it now, looking back. I guess kind of looking back, because it's, it's, it's almost been like two years now since it was published. Yeah. And um, I, I tried to re, I tried to reread it. And I remember thinking, how does anybody know what the hell this is even about? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember, reading, and I remember reading, reading things back and thinking, okay, I was, I was then having to reread sentences because I was kind of like, what are you trying to say, Derek? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember when I wrote this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I was, I was trying to say um, at that point. Um, <laughs> but no, it's interesting though. The feedback has been amazing because you know everybody says different things. Everybody picks up on different things. Um. And I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the view of it. It's great. You know, I love talking to people about the book and them telling me how they've interpreted it or what they think or asking me questions and stuff like that. Everybody's been like really respectful. Um, so, you know, the process has been, um, it's been, it's been, it's been really good. Yeah. And, you know, made me kind of realize as well, you know, cause I've, I mean, I've always been a reader. I always see myself as a reader before, right? But I think seeing how people react to your book really makes you appreciate the diversity of reactions to any kind of book. Because I remember in the past, someone will say to me, you know, oh, I don't like this book. And I'll just be like, I can't believe you don't like this book. But after you you write your own and you see the responses and stuff, and I guess how, you know, respectful people are about going about it and stuff like that. And, you know, you kind of, it really, really hits you that, you know, no, no, no book is going to be university, universally liked. Mm. Um, Unless, unless the academics try to force you, but <laughs> other than that, it's going to be university like. And so we come to the end of this series of the Waterstones podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then do make sure you've heard all of the How We Made episodes, which tell the inside stories of some of the most successful books of recent times. Our sister series, This Is the Book, does the same for some of the best books published in 2021. I'm Will Rycroft and the Waterstones podcast will be back in 2022 with more fantastic books and authors. But until then, have a great Christmas and New Year. Take care.